Welcome to the Wednesday edition of Couch Potato Diary. I'm Peter Klein. Thank you very much for tuning in today. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe wherever possible. If you want to get in contact with the show, which is me, I'm on Twitter at PrimetimeKlein. Same thing goes for Instagram, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK. You can email the show, CouchPotatoDiary at yahoo.com. The music provided by Wasted Talent. New stuff out today came out at midnight check it out now also uh shout out to their producer on instagram at tommy fresh music a couple things to get to today we're going to talk nba finals we're going to talk stanley cup and maybe a little bit of blue jays at the end which means i should probably talk about blue jays if i'm going to tease it either way we'll start with the nba finals um first off i fucking love that game that was so much fun um, and this is another thing kind of going along the lines of what I was talking about the other day where there aren't like, there isn't that super duper uber uber star in this game, uh, or in this series. You could say Giannis, if he is completely fully healthy, maybe he is, but we have seen throughout these playoffs that there are even warts on his game. This is not just going to come down to, oh, well, LeBron had 40, so they win. Like there are there are actual adjustments that need to be made instead of just you hope LeBron doesn't go off. Like it's, I don't know, for some reason, this one has just hit me a lot, a a little bit differently, I guess, than what we've seen from past NBA finals. Even with the Raptors one in 2019, obviously that's going to be the most enjoyable NBA finals of my life, certainly up until this point. Um, And even beyond, like you, you never forget your first. So it's, yeah, it's just cool. And I think one of the fun things about it now Going into this, there are so many adjustments that could be made on both sides. But I think specifically because they lost game one, a lot of the focus is going to be on the side of the Milwaukee Bucks. And now what do they do? How do they, uh, I guess, respond in this situation as they are now down one game to nothing following a loss to the tune of a 118-105 final? And... There's a few different ways to look at this. The the one side that kind of just fixes everything is that the minutes that Brooke Lopez is out on the floor, which was not many in game one, can't also coincide with the minutes that Bobby Portis is on the floor because they just got absolutely annihilated. Brooke Lopez last night plays 22 minutes and 50 seconds and was a minus 17 despite scoring 17 points. Um, That is quite clearly the worst plus minus in the game. And like, he just, once again, in in game one, it kind of felt like, oh, well, he's just not going to be usable against the Atlanta Hawks. And then he he ended up, he wasn't the biggest factor, obviously, but he ended up actually playing a role in things for Milwaukee. So there will be adjustments that could be made to have Brooke Lopez be an actual usable human being in this series. It just wasn't what they were doing in game one. And one of the things that really quite impressed me from game one, and I'll get to this a little bit more, I'm kind of bouncing around between a couple of points I wanted to make, but Chris Paul is just fucking awesome, man. And where other teams had, like, it sometimes will take teams, and I, I will say the team representing the Eastern Conference in this, take some teams two and three games to make adjustments. It takes Chris Paul two or three minutes. And then he's just like, oh, this is what we're doing? Okay, well, I can do this, 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 and this. And now everyone is just playing in my play. And I'm directing everything. Like, he is he is so good at just controlling a game and saying, all right, this is what you're doing. This is how I'm going to counter it. And now you guys are screwed. And that's basically what happened in this one. He, he, was, he was tremendous. But now you have the adjustments 
of what does Milwaukee do. And they tried a couple things in this game. They tried to go small against Phoenix, and two things happened. One, DeAndre Ayton didn't look out of place, and we'll get to Ayton a little bit later, but I was quite impressed with how DeAndre Ayton handled that particular situation and he has been able to handle that relatively well he I think he did okay against the Clippers when they tried to go with their small ball lineup he wasn't a world beater or anything like that but he has a very good night last night 22 points and 19 rebounds the other issue that comes with the Milwaukee Bucks going small and this is I I obviously like I don't have a list of small ball lineups in NBA history and how people can adjust around those but I can't remember a time where a small ball lineup actually meant you had less shooting on the floor. And that's what Milwaukee has here. When they go small, you have Giannis and PJ Tucker out on the floor and Tucker can hit corner threes, but okay. Um, it's, it just, it doesn't give you like, it, it literally makes you smaller. So maybe there is something there, but it doesn't really give you that real scoring advantage that you would hope. Cause Giannis isn't shooting for three. He went one for two in the game last night. PJ Tucker only takes two threes last night. He can hit them, but if PJ, if I'm losing a game because PJ Tucker's hitting threes, then I'm just losing that game. It's just, okay, well, that was certainly in the realm of possibility and I will throw someone at you eventually, but if that's the shot you're going to be taking, that is a shot I'm going to live with, uh, especially when you have Middleton going off the the way he kind of was playing well last night. But the, the Bucks kind of counter to this, okay, well, let's go small. You still have the same limitations that you would have if you had a regular lineup. You have a big guy out there who can't shoot and you have a four who can only kind of shoot. Like that's not, that, that's not what's supposed to happen when you go small. And, and I think that really ended up hurting Milwaukee. So then their adjustment was to put Bryn Forbes on the floor, on the floor last night. And immediately we talk about like the adjustments that are made immediately. It's, oh, okay, well, we're going to go at you at every defensive possession. And then you get killed because again, there's just, there's not enough out there to help out. And now Giannis has to guard like seven different guys, which is really weird because there's only five on the floor. But it's just, Milwaukee almost feels like a team that is set up perfectly for what Phoenix wants to do. And then, by the way, if you want to go really small for the the Suns for a little bit, you can still do that. And you, like the, the Saric injury hurts and Frank Kaminsky having to play anything more than what he did this week or uh, in this game is going to be an issue for the Phoenix Suns. Absolutely. But like, if you have Bridges and Crowder as your four five, instead of your three, four, I, I don't think you lose a ton. If you want to give Aiton uh, a bit of a break out there and obviously different combinations you can run after that. But I, I just, it, it feels like the Phoenix Suns have a, a strong counterpoint for everything that the Milwaukee Bucks can do. And the, the Bucks still have, if he is healthy, the best player in this series. And Giannis, probably not at 100% in this game, but still a factor with 20 points and 17 rebounds. If you can get him to be King Giannis in this series, then you, you just might win based on how good he is. Uh, kind of going back to what we talked about before. But the, the Suns in this game, Chris Paul was the best player on the floor. Aiton was up there. Devin Booker didn't have his best game, but 27 points at the end of it because he gets the free throw line 10 times. Like Booker only shot one for eight in the series and the, the Suns still won. Like to me, that kind of reminds me to, to bring it back to personal experience. Well, not personal. I wasn't on the team, but in 2019 in the NBA finals, game one was a Siakam game and the, the Raptors end up winning that. And you, you go, you take a step back. It's okay. Well, we're already up one, nothing. 
And we didn't even have to have like the best game from our dude. So now in the next six, he only needs to be awesome three times for us to win. And it kind of feels like that's where the, the Suns are with Booker. And he didn't, again, 27 points in the NBA finals is not something to scoff at. I, I don't think he needs to take the box score and light it on fire when he gets home in some kind of sacrificial ritual or anything like that. But he can certainly be a whole lot better. And if he is, the Suns are probably going to win that game too. And you just look at it and it, everything really stacks up very, very well for the Phoenix Suns based off of this excellent performance. Also, I have to say, 25 or 26 at the free throw line, you're just going to win a whole lot of times. Like that, that is, compare that to 9 of 16 for the Bucks. that's 56% from the line to 96% at the line, it's an extra 16 points that you are getting and you end up winning by 13. That is not the be all end all, but that is a very good sign for a Phoenix Suns team that is aggressive and just makes their free throws. So it's a, a difficult team to come back against. I said it before though, welcome to the NBA Finals, Chris Paul. I am so happy, again, that he is getting this spotlight and for him to have that game in game one, 32 points, nine assists, four rebounds, 37 minutes, a plus 17, four for seven from three, four for four from the line, overall 63% shooting night. He was phenomenal. And in in fights a lot of the times, I, I look at it like, okay, who is dictating where this fight is taking place? Who, like, one guy, maybe they're landing a little bit, and oh, well, look at this, but who is in control of how this fight is going? Chris Paul was the wrestler in this game controlling every minute of the uh, of the 37 minutes and 22 seconds he was on the floor. If he wanted to play fast, the game was being played at a fast pace. If he wanted to slow it down and break you down, he was slowing it down and he was breaking you down. He did almost everything he wanted to. It was really awesome to watch Chris Paul be able to do that at the, the highest level of the sport in the NBA Finals. And again, like I said, like any adjustment that you want to make from a, a Milwaukee perspective, whether it's just not switching everything or it's Drew Holiday playing a little bit better, like it's Chris Paul is just going to have a counter to it and he's going to have a counter to the counter once you figure out his first counter. And maybe the only way to, to go at him is kind of hope that he's still maybe a little worn down from the whole COVID scare thing and you just go, like, you try to get Giannis on a switch on him and you just back him down and you, you try to have P.J. Tucker beat him up but then you have the offense running through P.J. Tucker. Like, it's just, he himself is creating so many difficulties for the Milwaukee Bucks. I'll be really interested to see what, he is able to do or what, what the Bucks are able to do with him getting ready for game two coming up on Thursday. And I, I, I kind of touched on it before, but DeAndre Ayton, I don't know if, I mean, there certainly have been guys who have had one good playoff and that raises their, their stock forever. See Turkaloo, Kamu, Akidu. Um, and there are other examples. Like Absolutely. I just can't think of any of them off of the, the top of my head, but I don't know if this all of a sudden means DeAndre Ayton is a top 10 player in the NBA and this is going to be um, a, a big three for the Phoenix Suns until Chris Paul doesn't have it anymore, which will be in like a decade the way he is playing. But what I do think it is kind of highlighting is that the big is not dead in the NBA just yet. And in fact, it is certainly in the West a key factor in trying to win basketball games. It's a little bit like I... You can't just have big-ass Shaq down there just beating guys up because then teams can go small at you aside from the Milwaukee Bucks situation and then it becomes an issue. But you look at what happened last year where LeBron and AD 
just bullied teams and just they were able to do what they wanted, speaking of the Chris Paul thing, and they up, end up winning a championship. And then you look at what's the adjustment. The Clippers go out and get Serge Ibaka to try to match that size for the, the, the Lakers. And now this year, you have DeAndre Ayton. And the big key for these guys is, because you can look at a couple of examples of where it doesn't work, with the Utah Jazz, for example. You went small against the Utah Jazz, and Rudy, uh, Rudy Gobert just didn't know what to do. Well, maybe he knew what to do. He just couldn't. Um, but with LeBron and AD, those guys are so good defensively that if you go small, you're fine with LeBron guarding a guard for a little bit and a, a small ball for Anthony Davis can handle that just fine. And Deandre Ayton is now showing that he can handle that as well. So maybe it's just the special big is back. But I think when you look at how you need to defend teams now and who are kind of the big teams in the NBA, in the Western conference, look at the last couple of NBA uh, Western conference champions. You have the Phoenix suns. They have a big guy who last night was a problem and you, you have to figure out how to defend him. Cause you can't just, again, for Milwaukee, it's not just, well, let's just sit Brooke Lopez. Cause Deandre Ayton already killed you and he will kill you deader in the next game. If, if you just, Oh, well, we'll just not play Brooke Lopez and Deandre Ayton already had 19 rebounds in this game. And you look at the Lakers with LeBron and with AD, and you look at other teams in that conference like Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets, and then you go over to the East. Uh, you know what? I, I will even say, like the Utah Jazz, you at least have to figure things out uh, around Rudy Gobert. And Jonas Valanciunas showed that if you don't have a big guy out there against him, he can eat you alive for some stretches. Like he dominated a couple of those playoff games where, specifically in the play-in, where there was just... Jakob Pertl, really? That's not going to do anything. And Giannis is just going to, to absolutely dominate in those types of situations. So we are seeing how important I think the big guy is. And still, you need guys who can shoot. And it's never going to be, okay, we're going to run our offense through a back-to-the-basket post player. I don't think those days are ever coming back. But it does kind of feel like they are the relief pitcher in baseball. Or kind of the the grinded out veteran in the National Hockey League, where we get to the offseason, we get to draft time. I mean, in hockey, it's a little bit different because you can't just draft a 35-year-old. Well, you shouldn't. You probably could, but you shouldn't. But for for baseball and then for, for hockey, when you look at free agency, I guess, specifically for this example, oh, well, you can't, you can't overspend on relief pitchers. What are you doing uh, taking up valuable roster spots on these guys who are in their early to mid-30s? You dummies. And, oh, don't you know, basketball is going small, positionless basketball, bro. You can't have big guys just clogging up lanes like that. And then you get to the all-star break in baseball, and hey, why is the bullpen blown nine saves this year and we're four games back? What, what, why, why have we not figured out bullpen help? And you get into the playoffs, and you wonder why your team collapses every year, and you like, hey, why, like, why this team just doesn't have the veteran leadership and the experience to, to get us through? And you look at other teams that are being successful, say, like, hey, why don't we have that guy? Why don't we have... Not a perfect example, but why don't we have a Patrick Maroon? Why don't we have a Corey Perry? Sorry, Logan. Why don't we have... Uh, uh, an Eric Stahl, a Joel Armia. Why, why don't we have this guy? Well, why don't we have a Craig Kimbrell in baseball? Why, why don't we have this guy? And now in basketball, it, it's fine to say, oh, we're going to play positionless basketball and it's going to be fine. And then a big dude's killing you. And hey, why don't we have an answer for Joel Embiid? Why don't we have an answer for a Nikolai Jokic or a DeAndre Ayton? It, it just, it feels like one of those things where everyone says the position is dead until someone else has it. And they're the ones who are killing you with it. My last thought, 
from game one of the, the NBA Finals. Drew Holiday needs to be better in this one. He plays 39 minutes and 56 seconds. He picks up 10 points, 9 assists, 7 rebounds, a minus 16. A reminder, as I go through my notes, the Milwaukee Bucks, to acquire the services of one Drew Holiday, gave up RJ Hampton, Eric Bledsoe, George Hill. Not awful. However, they also gave up first round picks in 2024, 25, 26, and 27. I don't know how that was allowed, but according to basketball reference, that be the hall to acquire the services of Drew Holiday. I am not going to say Drew Holiday is a bad basketball player. I think he is quite good at the sport, personally. But when you are giving up four first round draft picks, plus a kid who was a first round draft pick, Eric Bledsoe just doesn't fit in the, the current iteration of the NBA. But George Hill is a useful player. If you now I'm not I'm not saying you undo this trade because you, you have to try to acquire a Drew Holiday, but I am sure last night the Milwaukee Bucks would have much rather nine minutes and thirty-three seconds of their time was spent with George Hill on the floor instead of Jeff Teague. Drew Holiday for that haul needs to be a difference maker. You cannot give up a superstar level trade package and not get superstar level production in return, especially when your super duper star is dealing with an injury. This is the time where Drew Holiday absolutely needs to step up. And we've, we've talked about it in the, the NFL before where the worst thing that you can have or the, the worst thing that can happen to your franchise is you think you have a franchise quarterback and you don't have a franchise quarterback that can absolutely bury you. One of the worst spots in the NBA is you are trying to acquire a superstar, you give up superstar level assets to acquire that player, and you do not get superstar level production in return. There have been times where Drew Holiday has provided superstar level production, but this is where the Bucks need it. It can't just be a nice, oh, and Drew Holiday played well. That's fantastic. This was a need for the Milwaukee Bucks in game one, and they did not get it. Credit, uh, credit Chris Middleton, who's had a couple of great games in a row. I'm sure he's going to suck at some point because that's just how his career has gone very much up and down. But when he is good, he is really good. Um, but you just... Milwaukee cannot win this series with Drew Holiday playing as pedestrian as he was in game one. And when you look at what they gave up, it's not like the reinforcements are coming in. Like you are kind of locked in on these three guys that there isn't a draft pick coming in that's going to save you for a while. And not to be a dick about things, what veterans are coming in on mid-level exceptions to hang out in Milwaukee in February? Take it from a Raptor fan, that shit just ain't happening. Like, you, this big three needs to be a championship-level big three, and especially this year. Uh, and again, I'm not going to get into the asterisk talk, but things opened up for you very, very well. You took advantage of it to this point, and you should not have to apologize for that. But you have to take advantage of it now, once again, or else you may not get another shot at this. So Milwaukee Bucks need more from Drew Holiday, and pretty well everyone else in Game 2 coming up on Thursday. The music that you hear on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. They got new stuff out today. Go check that out wherever you listen to your music and follow them on Instagram at Wasted Talent with X's.
we still have hockey to talk about, so let's talk about that as the Montreal Canadiens survive to play another day as they take on the Tampa Bay Lightning in Game 5. There are a couple of takeaways from this one. Just quickly, Tampa Bay was still the best hockey team in that game. Make no mistake about it. Carey Price was the best player on the ice, and I would say the second best player on the ice was the post, and that ends up getting Montreal a win. And again, when you're in the Cup Final, who cares? Just survive in advance, man. That's all you have to do, and this Habs team knows that very, very well. They're able to take advantage a couple of key plays at a couple of key times, and look at that. You are still alive, but you got to play a hell of a lot better in Game 5 if you want to be hosting a Game 6. But I think the real story from this game is Josh Anderson. And how do you not feel great for Josh Anderson in the biggest spot of his career to this point, and he has the biggest game of his career to this point? I can't imagine what he is going through. Um, I don't particularly know his level of knowing the young Columbus Blue Jackets player who was killed in a tragic fireworks accident over the long weekend in the United States, but he was a part of the Blue Jackets organization for a long time. I would imagine their paths crossed, and at least... He knows people who knows the the young player who was tragically killed. So that could not have been an awesome day for him. And so to to be dealing with that and then come out and have the game of your life, like it's just, it, it it's it's really cool stuff when, when something, obviously you don't want the tragedy to happen, but to, to have a player with that kind of stuff on his mind to still be able to go out there and play at a high level is just a, a level of mental toughness that I will never be able to, to even scrape um like even scratch the surface on that one but from a, a a hockey perspective now putting the real life aside the Habs needed a guy to step up and it was him and obviously it was really Carey Price but they needed someone else to step up a guy who could score goals and he did and he was excellent in that game like there were there were moments where like in in that that sequence in overtime he just decided he was going to win the game and he has the physical gifts that when he is like no yeah it's over now most of the time, it's just over now. The problem is, it becomes a little bit tricky to, to predict it. And this is why it was so tough to assess a trade for Josh Anderson this offseason. Because he, he has always been capable of this. This is what people have seen from him for forever. He can fly. He is huge. The guy has a cannon of a shot. And when he gets going, it... it, it it's just unstoppable. Like guys at the pro level can't keep up with him and can't get in his way. The problem is he's not going all the time. And the playoffs here are an excellent example of that. He has been downright incredible in some games, but he also went 12 games between goals. And last night ended a six game goalless drought. So when you see that, it's, oh, well, I don't know if I want that player on my team, but then you see in game five, uh, game four and it's, well, I can't have that player not on my team. So how do you make a trade for a guy like that? A, how do you win a trade? B, how like how do you trade him away and get proper value? And how do you trade for him and give away proper value? And the, the Flames, the team that I was most familiar with this season, they were rumored to be in on him and Sean Monaghan was going to be the primary piece of that deal. Now, that likely would not have been a straight up one for one, but still, you would have been trading Sean Monaghan and likely... The biggest piece coming back to your organization was going to be Josh Anderson. So rightly or wrongly, that's how the two would have been, um, uh, I guess, compared. And so from a Flames perspective, say all you want about Sean Monaghan, but 
He is a major part of what the Calgary Flames were looking to do this season and have been looking to do over the past his entire career. How do you trade a guy like that for a player who has gone on 12 and 6 game goalish droughts at the most important time of the season? Like the Flames are very aware of what can happen when your top players disappear for the playoffs. That's basically happened for the last 20 years with this organization, with one rather obvious exception back in 2004. But then you see what he does in game four, and it's like, how do you not have this guy on your team? And you are hoping when you're making that trade, one of two things. A, you're hoping that your team's good enough that when he goes into hibernation for two weeks, that you have guys who can just step up around him. And then when he decides, I'm not going to say decides, because I don't think it's an effort thing. Honestly, I don't know what it is to, to be, to be perfectly frank. I, I don't know. I, I, he doesn't seem like the type where it is really an effort thing. It's just dominating at that level in the National Hockey League is quite tough to do. So maybe, maybe that's it. Um, but you, you kind of hope that when he is hot and it's just like, okay, well, we're just going to ride this as far as we can ride. It. And then when he's not, you, you have guys who can kind of step it up or you have a locker room that has set up so that you can try to get the most out of him on a more consistent basis than three times in the span of three weeks. And it's just, it, that, 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 that feels like such a difficult trade to, to make because again, you're trading for a guy who can just disappear at the biggest time of year, but also you're trading for a guy who literally just won a Stanley Cup final game. He did. Like, Carey Price helps. Suzuki had a pretty good game with the, the, the setup, but Josh Anderson and his effort and his just being a freaking beast was able to just win a game against the best team in the National Hockey League in the Stanley Cup final. How do you not go out and acquire that guy? The trade is going to look bad, I think, for Columbus. Quite frankly, I think it already looks bad, especially with how Max Domi and everything went down with him and John Tortorella this season. And the third round pick, I, I don't anticipate that being all that great. So even at the time, it was a smart move for Montreal because if it doesn't work out, Max Domi wasn't working out anyway. All well, you are taking your shot. But now that that trade is undeniably a win for the, the, the Montreal Canadiens. And now they are hoping someone else can step up in game five, but good for Montreal for winning. I, I feel like I, I shit on Montreal quite a bit. I, I don't want to, to be the, the anti-Montreal guy. And, and I know I said they were the second best team on the ice in game four, which is factually correct, I believe. I guess that's not factually. That, that would be, I don't know what. I, I think it's correct anyway. Um, what Montreal is doing is really cool. And we are obviously at a time where positive stories, a little bit trickier to come by these days. And for Montreal to give that many people this much excitement on this kind of a run, it can be a really, really cool thing. I, I have been a fan of a team that has gone on a run like this and in sports, there is nothing like it. And it really, maybe it shouldn't, but for a lot of people, it can really change your mood and really uplift you. And I'm, I'm really, really happy for that. And I'm happy for the fans of Montreal that 3,500 of them got to be in the building to witness that. So I... I feel like I am down on Montreal because I'm always going to be, well, yeah, the better team is better. So thanks for coming, Montreal. But A, I really enjoy watching Montreal play when they are at their best. B, I think Montreal is set up in a decent spot going forward with some of the young talent that they have. I don't know if they're going to be back at this point, um, like next year. Like, I don't think this is a 
always hanging around the final four of the NHL for the next decade type of a, a Montreal Canadiens team. But still, good for them. Um, if it does all come to a close tonight, there, there is absolutely no shame in what's been going on with Montreal. Last one to, to close things out today, the Toronto Blue Jays making a trade earlier this week as Rowdy Telez is out. A couple of pitchers come back in the deal. And I like this one from a, a Blue Jays perspective. And it's th- this is the tricky part of player evaluation when you are not a professional in player evaluation. Because A, you get caught up in the story and what Rowdy Telez went through with his, his mom passing away and then having to, to deal with that and then being, I, I don't want to say get over that because I don't anticipate some that's something that just one day it's, oh, well, I'm not sad about this anymore. But to, to be able to channel it in a different way and have the September call-up season that he had a couple of years ago and you just, you always, A, that just attaches a little bit more of the human element to it, which is something I've talked about in sports forever, that there needs to be more of that happening. But for, for Telez... After that, it just, it never really got back to that September level. And September is, it's a bit different now because it's not 40, it's 28. But it's it's always been tricky to figure out like what, what is real in this production? Are you facing the ninth guy in the Orioles bullpen on a Tuesday in September? And is that going to positively affect your stats? And how can we evaluate this? He was also in a tough spot because... He was one of those ones where, oh, well, you need to give this guy playing time to to let him succeed. And then maybe he wasn't ready for that playing time. And then he bounces between the majors and the minors. And that so rarely works out for a guy. And so it kind of, he he almost became a victim of his, I don't want to say his own hype, but his own potential a little bit because, well, we can't just have him sitting on the bench in the, at the major league level. And it, it just, it became a weird way of trying to maximize his potential while also using him, but maybe not using him all the time. And he, he kind of just got phased out with the Blue Jays. So I still hope there's something there. I think he can be, if nothing else, a very good platoon hitter for a team, potentially the Milwaukee Brewers. And for the Blue Jays now, you get starting pitching depth with Francis and you get a I would say major league caliber reliever, and that is just all you want. When you have a bullpen that is kind of fading the way the Blue Jays has been, just get warm bodies in there. It feels very just whatever, but it just... It is oversimplistic to say, however, I believe it is true, the Blue Jays just need major leaguers in their bullpen, and this team could do some really, really good things. I don't know if they need to go out and get a Craig Kimbrell. I don't know if they need to go out and make that big splashy type move. I wouldn't hate it, but just get some actual major leaguers in that bullpen, and I think this team is going to be fine. I can't wait to watch them here in the second half of the season. And also, a quick reminder, Shohei Otani is amazing, and you should be watching him any chance you get. That is going to do it for the Wednesday episode here on Couch Potato Diary. Thank you very much for tuning in. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe wherever possible. Let me know what you like, what you don't like about this show. I I can take the criticism, trust me. I can take most of it. There, there might be a couple of things I get to do, but uh, for the most part, I can take the criticism. You, you can send it my way on Twitter and Instagram at PrimetimeKlein, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK. You can email the program, Diary at yahoo.com. The music provided by Wasted Talent. Find their producer on on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. If you haven't had enough of me, A, I'm doing a bunch of dogs games this weekend. Also, we had no idea. My general history podcast with myself and my wife comes out every Wednesday. This week, we talked Terry Fox. 
Next week, we have a very weird subject that we were talking about. I know literally nothing about it. Looking forward to diving into that. You'll find out what that is at the end of We Had No Idea. You can follow that show on Instagram at We Had No Idea Podcast. Friday's episode. I cannot wait for this. Myself, Girana, back again, breaking down the entire UFC 264 card. Conor Gregor is back. We did these preview shows back in the day. Time became an issue. Not an issue now. I can't wait to break this down with G. Plus, we're going to yell about wrestling a little bit. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. So tune in Friday. And between now and then, I'm out. Have a good one.